if the fun starts. Yeah, now, now the fun starts, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and a regular guest, RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, man, how you doing? Very good. How are you? You've had a good Father's Day weekend? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, was nice. I had some family over and uh, it was all good. The weather was better than predicted, so just a little bit of rain, so that was nice. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, oh, yeah. lovely. Are I think you, we got all of your rain. Or... Oh, did you get uh, rain now? Yeah, we, we, the heat wave uh, ended a little bit. We cooled down just a touch, but we got a, a torrential rain, so oh, um, that was yeah. sort of the price we had to pay. That's yeah. fine. I'm happy to have it, you know, even if it cool cools down, down by... Yeah. So yeah, we got a uh, another great guests uh guest and um and yeah, feel really blessed for uh, for all the people that are so uh um so kind to give us all their time. And uh, mm-hmm. this time we have a former head coach of the Canadian biathlon team, Matthias Arns, and um he has a, a lot of experience and a lot of uh stories from his uh pre-coaching life and uh his coaching for the current uh, Alberta development team. And uh, just another great conversation. And uh, I knew him a little bit beforehand. For you, he was, uh, you know, you had never met mm-hmm. him or spoken with him. So uh, it sounded like you had a good time too. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the big takeaways, he's just a genuinely nice guy. Uh, I think he would have talked to us all night. Um, you know, as you guys will find out, this is part one of a, a two-part interview. So he, he really was going to talk to us all night. We had to slow yeah. him down a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, I know. I had a great time. Um, uh, he really uh, was was incredibly open with us uh, about mm-hmm. everything from uh, coaching philosophies to getting into youth uh, analytics to um, you know when we were even asking him uh, questions about you know your favorite venue, your least favorite venue. Like he was just uh, <laughs> just seems so enthusiastic about answering yeah. every question we had. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was another great talk. So. Uh... Yeah, so this first episode, we, we kind of cut it in half. Um, so roughly about an hour in, uh, we'll we'll cut it out. And then uh, in about, well, probably around a week's time, we'll post the second part of the uh, the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, did you have any other news you wanted to talk about before we dive into it? It's been a pretty quiet time. Uh, yeah. In the world of biathlon, I did want to give a uh, congratulations to uh, Egil Yaland, uh, who was the uh, biathlon coach of the year for the Czech Republic. Uh, was it biathlon uh, coach or was he coach of the year? I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I saw it on the biathlon, uh, the Czech biathlon Instagram page. Uh, okay. So I, I don't want to go too far, but I, I just saw him announced as coach of the year. Uh, so uh, awesome. congratulations to him. I thought that was yeah, pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And if you guys missed that interview, that was a couple of weeks back, but you can yep. find it in the, in the feeds. Yeah, for sure. Have fun with this, uh, episode, uh, as usual, reach out to us on Twitter. If there's anything you would like to, uh, discuss or ask questions about, and alternatively, you can send us an email at the, uh, penalty loop podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, I hope you have fun. You're Welcome, Matthias, on the podcast, and uh, great to have you on. Maybe, are you okay to start with just uh, a brief introduction, just about yourself? 
Sure. Well, welcome to you both. Um, I'm excited uh, on this podcast tonight. And uh, yeah, myself, I'm the head coach with the Biathlon Alberta Training Center based out of Kenmore. Uh, primarily coaching junior and youth athletes, uh, but also some uh, young senior athletes who are sort of, it's a stepping stone uh, from the club level up to the national team, sort of that that uh, time when they leave high school and would uh, will try to um, uh, yeah to go full time training to see where they can get to with biathlon. Nice. And and would you mind telling a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally, yeah, if so, you grew up um, with biathlon, etc. Right. So um, initially, as you hear by my accent, it's uh, the Bavarian Alps where I grew up. Uh, it's a place about halfway between Munich and Innsbruck called Mittenwald. It's a training center where I myself uh, actually competed and trained as a biathlete. And it's sort of the uh, actually amazing how it has produced athletes like Dahlmeier, Neuner, uh, Gössner, uh, Beck, uh, they all come from this training center. And um, that is where I grew up and where I uh, did biathlon in the late 70s and early 80s. And um, what brought me to Canada was actually uh, first that I raced um, uh, on, a, on a Loppet team, uh, on a factory team and uh, that brought me to the Canadi uh, Canadian yeah, Gatineau, what it was called at the time, now the Cascinada and the American Berkey and I, I fell in love with Canadian winter <laughs> and uh, was looking for opportunities, What, how I could come to Canada, not as a tourist but actually working mm -hmm. and living and uh, so in 1990 um, uh I yeah I, I started full time here in Kenmore based out of Kenmore, and worked initially here with Kenmore Nordic Ski Club as the head coach for cross country and biathlon, and then was asked in uh, 2005 whether I would like to uh, coach the junior national team in biathlon, and that sort of got me started um, with a young group of athletes, uh, some. You, of course, you, you um, remember it's uh, a Nathan Smith, uh, a Brandon mm -hmm. Green, Rosanna Crawford, Megan Emery, and so on, uh, athletes who made it all the way. And it was a, a fun time because from 2005 till 2019, we, um, yeah, we, we went along together from the uh, youth junior age all the way to three Olympics. And um, and then sort of finished all the around that same time in 2019, and now I'm back working with the juniors, which is quite exciting uh, to pass on what I sort of experienced or the experience I got uh, working on the World Cup and on the highest level. Nice. That's been a, a heck of a ride there. Yeah. And taking them all the way up from the juniors, going to the Olympics. That's incredible. Yeah, it was exciting, and it, uh, I'm really proud in the way of uh, how we did this together um, with those athletes, like especially Brendan Green. He was a youth at the time, so just 18 years old, and then uh, same with uh, Nathan Smith. Uh, uh, so they were very young at that time, and it, it took them 
if I think about it, so 2005, yeah, they were in, in the 30s when they actually got their highest performance. With, uh, of course, I'm, I'm still very proud about, well, Nathan's uh, mm-hmm. World Championship medal and the World Cup win. And, mm-hmm. and also the, um, the podium, the highlight for me, the biggest highlight was really the podium at the World Championships in Oslo, where the Canadian team uh, with uh, Christian, Scott Gao, Nathan Smith and, and Brendan Green were when they won um, the bronze medal. And, mm-hmm. and especially because, I mean, Norway is the cradle of Nordic sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just unbelievable, the, the race itself. Um, the atmosphere in, in the Holman Cullen Stadium. And then at night at the award ceremony, uh, stepping out there, uh, there were, uh, I heard it was uh, almost 100,000 people uh, watching wow. the, the awards. And I just told the guys, well, take it all in because yeah. you can feel like rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like the, it's like a, like a sports movie. Like you take these guys from basically when they were kids and you take them to the, uh, you know, to the, the pinnacle of achievement. I, that is, uh, that's amazing. It truly is like a, like a sports movie come true. Yeah, thank you. And th- this is still what I now, I, I, I like to sort of, um, show again those younger athletes i'm coaching now the the possibilities there mm-hmm. is um, no difference being canadian and that biathlon is maybe a side sport uh, and not uh, you know the focus like canada has on, on on hockey and so on but that there is the possibilities are there and there's yeah. no difference between a german norwegian or canadian young athletes um, opportunities are there for all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you say it's pretty unique that you had the opportunity to stay with these athletes basically from from their youngest days in in biathlon to to the pinnacle? Like I'm assuming that typically you have a juniors coach and then they pass athletes on to the to the next level, IBU Cup coach, World Cup coach, etc. Or is or is it fairly common that coaches kind of grow with the athletes? No, I would say I was really lucky the way. Um from Canada or the national team developed that I actually could sort of go with them. Initially, I was hired as a junior national team coach. And um, and then, yes, you, you're right. Normally, it's being passed on to a senior coach. Uh, and then to whether it's, as you mentioned, IBU Cup or, or World Cup, uh, they're being sort of passed on and uh, but i had the opportunity to move with them so from let's say uh, alpen cup races um, some domestic championships in germany or uh, in europe with those juniors and then of course junior world championships and then taking them actually onto that when they became uh, first year seniors second year seniors uh, the first few years anyway to the mm-hmm. ibu cup and then from there the next step onto the World Cup, and um, yeah, I'm. Uh, you're right. <laughs> I've been lucky that I could do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I also believe, and I look at um, in general, not just the Canadian team, but also teams in Europe, that this would be an ideal situation. Maybe not sort of moving along, well, even even moving along all the way uh, would be good as long as it then goes back in a circle. 
Mm. And um, so I, I really think uh, taking those athletes at the, what the group I have right now and can more, uh, let's say, you know, between age 18 to uh, 22 to uh, take them on that journey. But then uh, at some point coming back again to the age group 18, 19 yeah, yeah, and yeah. starting over again. I think that is an ideal situation because with the experience I gained, at the highest level, I feel now really confident um, bringing that knowledge and experience uh, to the younger athletes. And um, yeah. So in about 12 to 15 years, we're going to get some <laughs> World Cup wins and gold medals and then you start over? Is that that's the plan? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> so when you started with that group, uh, how early on did you recognize that you had something really special with them? Uh, you know, uh, it's right from the start there, I could see talent, mm -hmm. but obviously, and, and it's now too, if I look at an 18, 19 year old athlete, uh, it's very hard to predict. Uh, you see mm -hmm. talent. But then what really makes a difference is uh, when work, when the work really starts, when mm -hmm. the athletes realizes what they have to do in order to get to the top, that's what uh, makes actually the difference. Uh, talent will just start them, will give them a good base foundation um, to develop their skills or uh, but at the end, it's the work put in over the year and over the years what really gets them to the top. And that is very hard to predict in those young ages mm -hmm. because, of course, um, there's a lot of uh, challenges in, in regards of finishing high school, not maybe knowing exactly in what direction they like to go, whether it's athletic or professional um, education. And um, that's one part. The other part is, of course, um, the financial aspects, uh, mm -hmm. what it costs young athletes to really mm -hmm. pursue uh, competitive and high-performance sport. That's the other element. And then I would say that the past two years, due to COVID, even put another hurdle into it, yeah. where in the way of motivation, uh, it's really hard when you don't have races. You train all year, but you're really not racing. Yeah. Uh, this past season, it was a bit better. We actually could race before Christmas. Then, unfortunately, we would have had the uh, World Junior Trials in Quebec, and there was a lockdown, so they were canceled. So we lost about um, yeah January into February, uh, a period of time with no racing. And then eventually we could uh, do our World Junior Trials in Sovereign Lake and mm -hmm. then go from there to Salt Lake and Soldier Hollow. But it, it was, again, not a, a full, perfect race season, but at least uh, there was the drive towards racing and the, the enjoyment of racing and, and racing with getting together. Those young, It's also important that those young people uh, get together, not just with their teammates uh, or the domestic uh, competitors, but internationally. And, mm -hmm. um, and at least that happened this past winter. And... Hopefully, from now on, we, we can have full seasons so that they see how much fun and, and what, it, what the work they put in, mm -hmm. what it can get them to. Mm -hmm. It gives them a better idea, too, where they sit on a, on a world scale. So 
yeah like being able to compare them with the germans and the norwegians and the exactly the bigger nations yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to take a, a little step back to your to your introduction because you went very quickly over the fact that you were racing, but was it at the World Cup level as well? It was to um, international level. It was so a very short period, but it was an interesting period because initially I was an alpine racer. Where I grew up, it's uh, very alpine oriented mm-hmm. uh, in in the Bavarian Alps, but it was actually a Frisette teacher. Who got myself and two other friends in in um, into cross country skiing? And Germany has an interesting system. It's like similar to let's say Alberta Winter Games, Canada Winter Games, uh, where you also have a regional, provincial, national system of racing, but it's actually organized within the school system. Mm-hmm. So it's actually really good for recruitment of new athletes. And anyway, uh, that uh, was my introduction to Nordic skiing or first to cross-country skiing. And then at the highest level at the national event, there were um, some biathlon uh, scouts checking for talent. And um, a friend of mine and myself, we got invited to come to a biathlon camp. And that really turned me into uh, towards biathlon. And um, I should say... It was the first year that um, uh, Biathlon switched to a 22 rifle from the, the big caliber. Okay. So I was the first one sort of on, on that. Uh, and I was the, and I finished Biathlon before it uh, switched from classic to skating. So okay. I did my Biathlon career uh, classic in classic skiing for six years and then it switched. Just when when I stopped, uh, it switched to um, to skate skiing, hmm. mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, I I remember because I did then one more year in the in the factory team, uh, and that was then skate skiing. But those skis were sort of a uh, a hybrid between a classic and a skate ski. Did they just sand off the kick area of the of old? <laughs> classic skis and <laughs> well, there were a lot of different uh, developments at the time i mean the tip was still a classic tip so yeah. quite high and quite uh, pointy um the uh, there were some skis uh where actually they tried the metal edge which then oh. later was uh, not allowed anymore by the fist mm-hmm. but uh, they thought yeah for a better edge grip mm-hmm. it was actually i mean Definitely, it provided better grip uh, edging uh, for downhill turns. But overall, a metal edge is actually slower than uh, a P-Tech space. So okay. uh, from that point, too, it was it was not bad when they took it away. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing your boots were a little less uh, sturdy than they are today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is also yeah, interesting aspects of. Uh, I still re- remember um, also our classic skis because there was, of course, also tricky waxing conditions, and uh, so the company who sponsored us, uh, our team with skis, they did not have, not have a so-called zero ski uh, um, available. So mm-hmm. they took from another company that ski and put their um, their top coat on so that it was not recognizable. <laughs> and in, pro, in the prone position, you could see 
the base and you could see that it was actually a different brand. <laughs> Maybe marketing wasn't quite developed as it is today. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And, and then also, I mean, the, the whole coverage of uh, TV coverage uh, of Biathlon was by far not what it is nowadays. Yeah, yeah. It's... yeah they're doing they're doing some interesting trials with uh, like information on the screen while the skiers are mm-hmm. passing through, etc. Exactly. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's getting better and better. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask do you still skate ski every now and then, or is it mostly classic? Because I've seen you a couple of times in Camor, and I think you were always doing classic at the time. But, uh... yeah, actually, I, I would say it's about 50 50. Oh, okay. Uh, so, I, I really still like classic skiing, especially here in Canadian winter, hmm. uh, where it's still, uh, you know, below zero uh, conditions. And, it's fairly easy uh, classic waxing for most of the time, so I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I um, I also encourage the athletes to do it um, for training because I still believe it's uh, the best way uh, to to do recovery skiing to use different muscle groups. Mm-hmm. I also think it's good for the development of the cardiovascular system that it has actually more muscle groups involved and. Um, provides a good uh, endurance training and um, and also even from a technical aspect that one leg light the balance uh, the coordination and and um, and also the, the the short contact kick phase of a classic ski provides some some um, skill development and and uh, power uh, development so I, I think it's it's good for athletes mm-hmm. I definitely enjoy it in the right conditions uh but yeah uh, skating i i definitely enjoy it too um so i would say yeah it, it's i would say it's almost 50 50 okay with the athletes it's a bit different obviously they train i would say you know 70 percent uh skating and and maybe at the most 30 percent classic okay uh-huh. so just sort of listening to you but not quite yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're teenagers after all, right? Or <laughs> late teenagers. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned in the uh, in the email when we were going back and forth, we have a couple of general questions that we ask everybody on the the podcast. So um, I'll start with that. If uh, if you weren't, RJ, oh yeah, before before we get to that, do you mind? I have just a couple more questions oh, about absolutely. just yeah. about, no, sorry. about coaching in particular uh, that I just before I. They trickle out of my yeah. head. Um, so uh, you had uh, you know, talked about how um, you know this is going back to when you're talking about coaching the, the the group all the way up from the the juniors and coaching them all the way up, and then you, you touched on it a little bit with uh, coaching. Um, you know, the last couple of years with COVID and trying to keep kids, uh, you know, trying to keep them interested. So. Uh, is there a balance, you know, especially when you got like the the newest kids coming in that you have to reach with, you know, you you want to, you know, push them, but you also want to keep the love of biathlon in there. And is that kind of tricky to maintain or uh, do these kids, you know, are they are these kind of like the, the kids that love it anyway? So you can kind of, you know, push them a little bit, a little bit harder, uh, you know, and, and is that something that changes as they as they rise up and, and you're moving into like the, the World Cup level guys? Yeah, that's a good question, and I think it's a very important one because, for sure, athletes have to be pushed. 
to um, get out of their comfort zone um, in the way of skill development, in the way of their physical, uh, physiological uh, development. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it has to. The overruling um, rule for me is is really having fun, but having fun in in what they do. So I think one benefit of biathlon is that uh, there is a lot of different elements of training you can do. To begin with, it's it's a dual sport. You have the cross country skiing plus you have the shooting. That makes it already quite um, uh, exciting. Um, but then also just the different training modes we have uh, from running to uh, road mountain biking to roller skiing, uh, ski striding. Uh, there are so many uh, here in the mountains, hiking. Um, there are so many ways to, to really develop that, that physiological aspect. Um, downhill skiing uh, and mountain biking, like where it's more technical in the way of mm-hmm. um going down the mountain it's all the really good skill development and at the same time a lot of fun so i think that's that's important to keeping that in mind that uh, the athletes are always challenged and and um, that there's not too much monotony obviously there's a lot of things uh, have to be automized especially on the shooting side Mm -hmm. so there can be some monotony for that aspect, uh, the ma- most dreaded uh, dry firing. Um, <laughs> but even there, there is uh, aspects of where how it could be freshened up or uh, challenged. Um, another element, of course, is um, that even though it's an individual sport, it's really it's about a team because it's I think very hard to do endurance sport just by yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so having a team and doing the workouts together, uh, obviously we have team workouts, uh, so where I'm coaching the, the whole team, but then there's all the workouts where it's it's on their own and maybe they go out in smaller groups and are still together. Uh, so I think that's very important to create that um, team training, but also to create the fun within the team. Um all the support within the team because it's not always uh, uh, bright uh, for everybody. So to help each other in, in, in darker times or in tougher times uh, mm-hmm. when the results mm-hmm. are not so good uh, in racing and so on to support each other, I think it's a good, um, important element. Um, and uh, the other aspect, what I found really, because you mentioned with COVID, is that, and I, I've seen it more in females than uh, on the male side, is the uh, how to deal with yeah their their thoughts and their worries about education and about professional development in you know university or so on. And um, mm-hmm. so we started now three years ago uh, together with the World Cup Academy uh, between Calgary and, and Kenmore. Um, a program where we, well, I call I call it the dual career, um, where they they let's say in the summer they train full time in in Kenmore, and then start starting September, uh, when they move into let's say Calgary for um, post secondary studies, then they um, 
we'll have training sessions in in Calgary on the physical and on the skiing side, mm-hmm. and they come out for biathlon to Canmore. And uh, the idea is to keep athletes longer. Uh, they can pursue already some uh, some education, but at the same time, they're they're not leaving the sport. And maybe I actually have one athlete uh, now in July returning who did a year um, break to finish his degree in in kinesiology. And uh, yeah, so it's someone who did uh, both together and then uh, and then decided, uh, okay, now I'm done. Now I go back Mm -hmm. and see where I can get to. No, thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's a uh, I I can imagine you know trying to uh, you know trying to to keep everybody invested isn't the right word, but keep everybody kind of uh, uh, bought in can be very difficult. Uh, you know, with all the different things you're trying to juggle, especially like you mentioned with um, you know kids that that age and trying to to keep everybody sort of rowing in the in the same direction. Um, it's, it's nice that you guys had that flexibility that, uh, this particular athlete was able to, you know, finish up their, their studies in that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one other question I had before we, before we move on was, um, you know, when you, when you, uh, took this group that you had, I mean, this like sort of golden generation, uh, that you had there and, and you took them from the juniors on up, how did your, uh, coaching, if at all change, um, you know, either your coaching philosophies or sort of the ways that you're training them for, uh, to, to reach the, the biathlon goals. How did that change as they, as they advanced, um, you know, both in age, but also like in, in their skills? Yeah. So I would say in the way of the coaching philosophy and the content in physical, technical, tactical elements, it did not change. I would, sure. There's always fine tuning. And from year to year, there's Mm -hmm. changes, but philosophically, I would say it did not change. Because my philosophy was already, uh, at, for example, uh, when I was coaching here, Ken Monordic, um, with those young high school athletes, always this, this challenge out of the comfort zone and, and a little bit multi-sport oriented. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say multi-sport, more on like the athletic development uh, uh, open and uh, towards skill development, towards their physiological um aspects so that i tried to continue all the way of course the how it's being then coached that changes because obviously a 16 year old compared to a 30 year old will need other um yeah elements of of uh, challenges uh, to make it uh, efficient and and successful and and fun so that i would say you know the content changed a bit, but the philosophy didn't. And um, you had a second question within that question. Um, and it was both was- the philosophy, and then if there was, um, you know, if there was, uh, if there was anything that you noticed that you worked on more or oh, less, yeah, yeah. kind of as 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 they as they grew. Yeah, I, one thing I wanted to say is um, what definitely changed, and where I learned with the athletes is the mental uh, aspect of um, the psychology uh, mm-hmm. in in regards uh, believing in themselves and um, and then when that happens 
how much that can advance them. And uh, to give you some examples, um, we we had John Philip Legolek in the national team at the time, and when he made his first World Cup podium in Östersund, that was really a breakthrough to the rest of the men's team. Hmm. And how it happened is that just uh, prior to it, we had a, a camp at Dachstein, Austria. It was a glacier camp and, and a training camp in, in Austria. And we had the whole team together, including Jean-Philippe. And uh, for example, the Jean-Philippe being based in, in Quebec, we would only see him at certain training camps. And mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so the Canmore athletes, where most uh, men were, they really saw that in training, there was no difference to Jean-Philippe. But then when Jean-Philippe made his first podium, the others realized too, okay, if he can do this, we Mm -hmm. should be able to do it. We're not far away from him. And that made a really, uh, I think, a breakthrough to many of them. And then it really, that men's team started um, uh, going... (laughs) very well uh, towards podium performances, which then I would say started in 2014 in, in Sochi where we had really good results by the men. Mm-hmm. And um, and then 2015, Nathan's World Championship medal. And uh, and then the, the four guys, um, the Gao brothers, Brendan Green and Nathan Smith uh, at the World Championships in Oslo. It's that uh, that success inertia, you know, the uh, an object in motion tends to stay in motion. And, uh, you know, once once they started seeing the success, you know, started to bring them more success because they had confidence that, hey, I, I can go do that. You know, that wasn't a fluke. We can do this. Exactly. And and also how it actually sort of got the team together. Um, they mm-hmm. created, I think it was leading up towards Sochi that they created this um, theme of, uh train eats uh eat sleep train mm. and um and and uh the athletes themselves so created a, a bit of a inst- yeah i think it was instagram or maybe it was facebook at the time but anyway it was a social media <laughs> group and they would be posting about their activities about the training about they would do little podcasts they would do uh, yeah. really short fun elements and uh, and but it, it was a sign of how they were working together uh, to push each other and to support each other, and it, it was just a really good, um, yeah, a, a good team atmosphere, um, which at the end then really paid off, and also kept them long in the sport because uh, mm-hmm. they were over thirty when uh, when uh, yeah. Nathan Smith, uh, Brendan Green, uh, Rosanna Crawford when they stopped racing. Mm-hmm. And it, um, so can you maybe say a little bit more? Like, I know that there's a lot of athletes that are based out of uh, Canmore, probably from Western Canada. Um, for, for the people in, uh, in Europe that are listening, it's always hard to understand the scale of or the, the size of Canada. Like, yeah. between I don't know the exact distance, but it's thousands of kilometers between Quebec and, and, uh, and Canmore, yeah, right? So, so how how do you feel, like is there a lot of collaboration between like somebody at your level like is there a, is there a athlete program for younger athletes for Quebec as well and Toronto or uh, Ontario and 
etc. Yeah, maybe starting where uh, what you said, you know, just to give a perspective on Canada, uh, the size of this country, you know, it takes about uh, the same time and the same almost the same distance to go from, let's say here the west coast, uh, Whistler or, or Kenmore, all the way to Quebec, uh, as it takes to go from the east coast over to Europe. Yeah, and of course that has immense challenges that. Uh, just thinking, you know, to to go here from the west to the east for national championships or or some domestic racing, it uh, costs almost the same money as going to Europe. Yeah. Uh, so, given that, we have huge challenges in our travel budget, uh, and that is uh, always had been with the with the World Cup team. Uh, it's definitely also with the juniors. We were traveling less, but uh, nevertheless. Uh, if I look at the, you know the budget we have we had with the national team, it was uh, about the same as a, as a German uh, or French uh, federation has. But the difference <laughs> is that I would say eighty percent of that budget goes into traveling, yeah. and yeah. what Europeans don't have. I mean, they they travel uh, with their team van and and drive a few hours here and there. Yeah. If they're in Central Europe, and maybe they have a short flight up to Scandinavia, but that's about it. And they always complain when they have to come over here because then, <laughs> yeah. then they have high costs. <laughs> yeah, and uh, not realizing that we have to do that all the time, and right. uh, so that's for sure a big challenge on the financial side and also on uh, time commitment side. Um, you know. If I just think we, we just uh, had an Olympic year. In Olympic year, I maybe within five months, I got home for three weeks at the most. Uh, uh, and, uh, and the athletes even less. Uh, they Usually nowadays, they go over end of November and then um, they stay in Europe over Christmas. They continue on with the second World Cup block. Uh, then there is a, a little preparation break, whether it's for World Championships or the Olympics. And then after the highlight of the season, then there's the third uh, trimester of the World Cup. And the athletes never come home from November till uh, the end of the season. So that's a big mm-hmm. challenge because it's living out of the suitcase all the time. Uh, I mean, European athletes too. They, of course, attend all the, the World Cup races. But if they are in Central Europe, let's say Ruppolding, Hofilzen, uh, athletes might just go home for one night to, to spend in their own bed and yeah. be a little bit home. And then when there is a week break between World Cups and World Championships, um, they can also they can go home, whereas the Canadian team has to stay. Uh, there's additional costs because of accommodation and so on, um, training venues and all that. And the athletes cannot come come home because, again, mm-hmm. with jet lag and everything, uh, it just would not be very productive towards the the highest uh, or the most important race in the season. Right. But now coming back, what you said in the way of uh, the um, yeah the development of the sport in the country, I would say. I'm, uh, uh, what's really nice um, is that in Canada we have some very strong clubs, and that actually those clubs can motivate quite a few uh, biathletes. Um, and I would say 
for sure, Alberta is is maybe at the moment the strongest um, province, uh, followed by BC and then uh, Quebec. Um, there's unfortunately it's a little bit weak in Ontario, where actually cross country skiing is is uh, big, but biathlon is um, hmm. unfortunately not quite uh, to, uh, developed to uh, the extent. I could see it happening in, in a province with a lot of population. But it's also nice to see that there's athletes coming from the Yukon, from um, Northwest Territories, yeah. uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Uh, so it is, um, in and even the Atlantic uh, provinces, Biathlon is in the whole country. But, of course, in very small numbers. And uh, the, the centers are... Um, from from the the number of athletes for sure, Alberta, uh, British Columbia, and and Quebec, uh, and therefore also that is why in those provinces um, uh, national training centers did, developed. Right, and the, the first one, uh, of course, is is Canmore. Given that here also the national team, the biathlon national team uh, trains as well as cross-country and paranordic. Uh, and with the facilities from the 88 Olympics, mm-hmm. of course, having really prime uh, conditions uh, or facilities for, for the sport. Uh, the next one is, is Whistler, of course, also Olympic venue, still mm-hmm. very much used uh, for many different sports, but uh, also biathlon. And then the third one is Quebec, where Valcartier was a former uh, World Cup site, uh, also still very good trail system. And, um, yeah, so those three training centers are really the ones uh, where it goes from beyond the club level to that uh, period uh, athlete finishes high school and is trying to trying towards uh, the national team and is sort of the bridging that they get uh, three, four, five years until they make um, uh, get are successful enough to make the national team. Right. right. Yeah, and then I, I remember the the nationals, for example, the Canadian national championships were in Prince George, and then you meet with all the coaches from from that level. To, yeah, to... that's uh, exactly. It's really nice. Uh, I mean, it's a obviously a very small community yeah but even internationally it's a small community and really that word which uh, the ibu created uh, that theme of the biathlon family mm-hmm. i would say it really uh, is that way whether looking on the world cup the ibu cup uh, the junior ibu cups world championships and so on uh, among the coaches and the staff and the athletes it, it's a family mm-hmm. and uh, Obviously, in international racing, most venues are being used uh, year after year. So even that family extends to the officials, to all the the volunteers uh, preparing those sites and and, uh, looking after us uh, in those places. So it's an extended family in that way and and even all the way to the fans. Um, I would say, you know, during the time I was coaching on the World Cup, we had more fans uh, in Germany than, than in Canada. It's just because the sport is so big yeah. uh, there yep. that uh, uh, it's bigger than, yeah, I mean, as a winter sport, it's the number one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. 
and and they are just interested in athletes from all over the world. And uh, so, uh, looking now, you just mentioned yeah, uh, national championships last spring in in Prince George, um, World Junior Trials and Sovereign. For sure, the coaching community uh, is small, but is also it's a family, and we 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 share our knowledge, we share our um, issues, and and uh, because the main goal is really with the small pool of athletes we have to really uh, motivate them and keep them in the sport and to develop them to the level that, yeah, eventually they make it to the national team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's it. it I, I really appreciate the, uh, the differences between, you know, biathlon in Canada and, and a country like Germany where, you know, everything is like a five hour drive away, Right. <laughs> so it makes it, makes yeah. it complicated is, uh, at very different levels. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I also want to say, I mentioned it earlier, you know, I, I, in, in the way of talent, there's no difference between a Canadian athlete mm. and a German athlete or a Norwegian athlete. Opportunities might be different in the, in, in the different countries. That's for sure. But uh, I've seen now, uh, because I'm also involved on, on, uh, on the IBU side, um, with the uh, so-called IBU Academy, uh, which is a development program. Uh, it's, it works in different direction. One, one is athlete development, and it's mainly the so-called developing biathlon nations to provide them with um, coaching, training, expertise, and opportunities. And this is the one I'm referring to now that you, every year there's two camps uh, IBU, IOC uh, supported uh, training camps for there's usually about 20 plus nations participating and they can send their best male and female athletes and their coach to those camps. Hmm. And uh, and so I've, I've seen now many athletes from different nations and, you know, they, they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, but what I've also seen is, you know, the, the limitations in development what they have mm-hmm. in facilities, like if I just thinking last year, the coach from Kyrgyzstan, he showed me how they are training. It's uh, there's no roller ski track there. It's, it's mm-hmm. almost a desert and they're running around in that desert. They have a few targets uh, uh, set up and um, uh, but the, the athletes are they're motivated they're They have energy they They, they want to. And, uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I, I sometimes think it's, it's actually, it would be neat for athletes who have everything to see how other nations are actually. Uh, yeah, maybe switch in, in for a week. Sense. But yeah. that they can still be highly motivated and, and really successful in the sport. And that, I think what makes uh, biathlon now so interesting too is that, you know, remember, Last winter, there were several occasions where you have in the in in the top fifteen, you have ten nations represented, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, you know you might not have now, uh, or there are certain nations they might only have one athlete who can actually maybe even go all the way to the podium or into a top ten, but there is more and more nations who have really high level athletes, and mm-hmm. that is a really good development, I think, internationally. Because that keeps this sport interesting yeah. uh, mm-hmm. to watch, and, and especially with, with TV. And that, that, of course, helps then again 
to finance uh, development uh, when there is that TV coverage in a lot of countries. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, what I also wanted to say, the, the other uh, sort of direction I've been uh, working now with the IBU for two years um, is uh, coach development. And we just started this spring in April and then in, in May with um, uh, the first pilot courses on, um, on international biathlon coaching school and it's very exciting because again there are you know there were in this last course the level one there were i believe 17 nations involved and coaches actually not just from countries where let's say there is not an established coaching education system there were also nations who have an established system but the uh, the coaches participating, they thought they can develop professionally further in a in a more biathlon specific setting, and I I would say in long term this will be, I, I see it, it can be very uh, successful. Hmm. Uh, there were coaches who already have been coaching for many years, uh, especially on the youth junior side, uh, athletes who just uh, retired, like a Kaiser Makarainen on one course, uh, Christina mm-hmm. Kutzig, Eva Tolfalfi, mm-hmm. uh, Luca Bormolini. Uh, anyway, there are different nations, different athletes, coaches um, on, on a, on a um, already good biathlon level. And uh, so I'm really excited uh, for the future. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've read a couple minor things and I, I've heard from your trips uh that i knew that was you know that development going on in the ibu but uh that's great to hear and i i remember what uh when we talked to uh Egil, that he was also referring to yeah it's it's nice to be part of a a, a nation where everything is you know biathlon is super big and there's a lot of budget mm-hmm. for it and, and that kind of thing but we still need the smaller nations to be at the similar level to keep it interesting and to you know to keep the sport fun and interesting for for everybody so exactly yeah it's uh it's great to see that and that is actually you know as you mentioned the eagle there um norway is very interested uh, that to share actually their expertise and, and knowledge uh in that sense because mm-hmm. they know it's it's to the advantage of the sport if yeah this biathlon family is is big and uh, has lots of uh, nations uh, participating to make it really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it it, it keeps making me think of uh, the, uh, you. You know, I'm Dutch, and uh, it keeps making me think of the dominance of the Dutch speed skaters. Exactly. Where yeah. you know, for yeah. for the Dutch people, it's nice, but it almost killed the sport because right. yeah, you know yeah. you could basically you couldn't even bet on it because it was almost like a guarantee <laughs> that some Dutch person would win. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and I yeah, there's. A similar sport to to netball, which is I think only played in in Holland and Belgium. Right. So every World Championship, they're playing each other in the final. So it, <laughs> it really prevents the sport from from getting bigger. So no, I I think it's great to see that uh, in biathlon that mm-hmm. there's that support yeah. from larger nations and smaller nations, and um, you know with influence from from someone like yourself coming from Germany and having that traditional background in biathlon and bringing that to a country in Canada where where that tradition is not as as solid. So I think that's uh, that's great to see that also being supported by the IBU. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So before moving on, Jordan, any more questions on the coaching? No, I think I successfully <laughs> uh, derailed where you were going. So Okay. Yodelay! <laughs> If, uh, if it wasn't biathlon, is there any other particular sport that you think you would be involved in? I guess it would be cross-country skiing. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I should say, you know, because you asked me how I would be involved. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm involved in, in different other sports. I would call them all mountain sports. And mm. uh, that's actually also the ed- education or the professional career I, I took for a while. Is um, I'm also a certified international uh, mountain guide. And uh, that actually brought me then to Western Canada, guiding heli skiing for a period of time. Okay. And uh, so anyway... Huh. What I wanted to say is that the um, um, mountain sports, so anything from, uh, especially nowadays, uh, it's, it's ski mountaineering, uh, ski touring, uh, climbing. That is of my interest. And, and I would say besides the Nordic uh, sports, what, what I'm, I'm really uh, still pursue and, um, and also mountain biking. Um, so those are my, my favorite uh, activities in, in the way of sports. Okay. And, um, and uh, this is also something, you know, it's interesting that it actually attracts a lot of athletes, uh, especially those ones moving to Canmore here in the mountains. Uh, there's quite a few who really have taken up initially maybe <clears throat> hiking, but then also now climbing and yeah, ski yeah. mountaineering. And we actually now with the team, we have done some uh, ski ski touring trips together. And nice. uh, so, yeah, I think it, it really fits well because it's a good cardiovascular training, fun activity can be done as a, as a group of, of athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. One of the fun things about doing these, uh, doing these interviews and with everybody has been, uh, just learning little things, uh, you know, <laughs> finding out that you are <laughs> guiding hella skiing adventures is, uh, not, not something I would have anticipated. <laughs> um, but it goes up there with the uh, being a, uh, a ski jumper and, and Baiba doing, you know, everything under the sun. So I think what we're really learning is that, uh, people involved with biathlon have pretty diverse interests and are, are pretty, <laughs> pretty good athletes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask. I was going to ask what will uh, undoubtedly be the most difficult question that we ask the entire night. Um, so, uh, if you were going to think of uh, combining two different sports into a single sport, like biathlon has shooting and skiing, you know, what two sports would you put together? <laughs> there is no other one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, that's a good answer no, yeah. i mean you know for sure biathlon is it's it's amazing because it's two contrary things put together and uh, for me you know there's uh, some people say the uh, it started in the way of um like uh, military uh and obviously it was part of of moving on skis with with rifles and and uh, sort of the patrol and all that but I would, I would say, for me, it's even going further back to those uh, cave drawings. Uh, you know, the 
4,000 years ago found um, mm -hmm. in Norway where someone on, on uh, a short and a long ski and uh, hunting. That yeah. is uh, what sort mm -hmm. of is for me biathlon is, is the, this element of moving through the woods and uh, for hunting in the winter when it's snow covered. Um, I really don't know whether there is something, you know, to, well, obviously we have triathlon and um, where it's even three sports mm -hmm. combined, but um, thinking of winter, The only thing I could see is uh, something, uh, but it's it's more a terrain or event uh, thing. It could be in cross country to make the sprints, for example, more exciting that it's more technical with little jumps and uh, mm. more like uh, Nordic X, like a, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a Nordic ski yeah. That is that would be. I mean, I've I've organized those things um, as little competitions, but that I could see being some some like one uh, discipline, like uh, cross country yeah, yeah. could have. Okay. Then then it's a combination of the downhill skills with with the um, yeah all the the different skating elements. Cool. Yeah, I've seen some videos of that. That's actually pretty. That, that, that must be also a good way to, to get kids involved in cross-country skiing and keep them in. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you think if, if you weren't coaching in, in biathlon, would you be a coach in, in a different sport or would you focus on the, the mountain guiding? Or, Well, I would say that I it's a passion for me to educate coach uh, definitely i didn't know that this would be something initially but i think i have developed in that direction whether that was mountain guiding because i would say 50 percent of of the work of a mountain guide is really educating your guests and and teaching them and instructing them how to travel through mountainous terrain or how to develop those skills necessary for climbing or ski mountaineering and so on But, um, uh, and then the other 50% is, is really the guiding, guiding people through the terrain and up uh, some peaks and so on. Um, and then I find the education part of, and, and I should also say I've, I've been involved in, in the um, education or examining aspect of, of mountain guiding here in Canada with the Uh, ACMG Association of Canadian Mountain Guides and um, and uh, also I've been involved in, in different coaching education projects or um, activities and um, as I just mentioned earlier with the IBU uh, Academy now uh, so I see myself uh, as much as as a coach pushing and um, towards, um, you know, the, the physical elements and all that, but mm -hmm. being also an educator. And that is what I really enjoy. And on the educating side, it's not just what I like to um, give to the athletes or to, to, to the participants, but it's also actually in order to do that, You have to learn all the time. For me, it, it, 
it's never stopping. And, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. it would be very boring, whatever we do in our lives, if, if we would say there's nothing more to learn or nothing more to do. Mm-hmm. It would be very boring. And I think yeah. we, we would stagnate. And so I see myself uh, still developing in many directions and, and taking... You know, trying to to get knowledge from other uh, experts and other people, and then to educate myself and then to pass that on. Um, I think that's very very important, and and that also uh, my interest in that regard is also the sports science, um, and of course, <laughs> uh, we have been uh, you know working on on some. Uh, projects where i asked you you know whether it could be we could look at some statistics and yeah, because yeah, i yeah. think the statistics are a good base of analyzing performance because if you don't know where that performance is coming from you cannot do anything about you know making changes or um, developing a training program or uh, whatever is necessary to to gain uh, performance or to get better well, you couldn't have made a better bridge to the next topic. <laughs> it was like you read the script. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we do uh, want to talk a little bit more about the analytics. And uh, as, as we've started to, to interview uh, other people,